Thank you, Jared. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I just want to like pray and thank the Lord for um, life change. God, we thank you that, that we do have a testimony, that we do have a story, and that it is exciting and that it is powerful, God. We thank you for the life of Jared, Jesus. We thank you for the gifts you have given him and the way that he is honoring you with those. Um, and we just pray, God, that this um, story, this, this testimony, God, would reach people who don't know you. Jesus, we pray that it would be um, encouraging and vision casting for what can happen when we choose to follow you, God, when we choose to let, follow you, Lord, that when we're, um, when we're abandoned, Lord, that we follow you, God, and that you give us everything we need, Lord, that you are the creator of all things, God, and that you have created this world and you have created, created us and um, that we can yeah, just have relationship with you, Jesus, and that changes us completely. And so we just thank you, God, and we praise you, and we um, celebrate this testimony you said in Revelation that we will overcome everything by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so, God, thank you for the power of our stories, and thank you for um, Jared tonight for being willing to share his with us. So I pray that everyone is encouraged and um, edified tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. Awesome. Um, I actually got to see that music video last week, um, which was really exciting. And uh, yeah, it was really awesome. And um, that same day, another really exciting thing happened. And I was with Mally, who's right there. Mally and I went to Lowe's. Sorry we didn't come find you, Buck. Next time. We were, go we were thinking about it, though, because we went to pick up a fire pit. Anybody else have a fire pit or dreaming of fire pit season and s'mores? Um, yeah, and we went to pick up this fire pit. We could carry it ourselves, which was pretty great. Um, and that was really exciting. And our kids are so excited about having a fire pit. Um, also, my name is Katie Moran, by the way. <laughs> I am one of the campus pastors here with Chi Alpha. Um, one day, maybe I'll be able to see your whole face. That would be really great. Uh, Lord, please. Um, oh, at the worship night. Wait, do we have to wear? Yeah, we still have to wear masks. Oh. Yeah, so another time. On Instagram, probably. Um, you can just add me. I forget what my thing is, though. Um, <laughs> just look for at JMU Chi Alpha, and I'm sure I've liked something on it. Probably everything. Um, so I have, I'm married to Josh, who is actually preaching in the video, which is awesome. Good job, babe. Um, I know, you're like, what? I thought I'd heard that voice before. Um, and we have four kids, and um, they've been home since March, which has been just such a big blessing. Is that what I'm supposed to say? I think it is. <laughs> um, there have been blessings about it, but it also has been really hard. And um, we decided we were going to get a fire pit to celebrate this new season of fall. And um, so Mally was gracious enough to go on a little trip to Lowe's with me. And I was so excited um, and got home. And then Josh went to put it together. And I was like, oh, it has a dent already. And then he's like, oh, it's no problem. And just like bent it up. And I was like, ooh, that dents and bends really easily. And we have four kids. Like, that's probably not going to work out. And then I was like, oh, that's why Mally and I could carry it, because <laughs> it was really light and not well made. So decided to put it back in the box. And that was really sad, because I had already bought s'mores ingredients. So I told my kids, I was like, well, what if we just make a fire in the yard? 
Like, what if we just make a fire in the grass? And they're like, mom, no. And I was like, why not? It'll be fine. We'll be right there with it. And they're like, mom, you can't make a fire in the yard. It would have probably like gone all the way up to y'all's house too, <laughs> taking out all of the gardens behind our house. Um, they're like, mom, you can't make a fire in the grass. And I'm like, come on guys, it'll be fine. But they know that fire is powerful, right? And fire should not be in the grass, should be in the fireplace or in a fire pit. And tonight I'm really excited because the passage that we're gonna look at, Paul, the author, who is writing to this church in 1 Corinthians, tells the Corinthians about something else that is powerful and good in the right context. So we are going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So we are in a series called Reframed, and this series is going through the book of 1 Corinthians, which was actually a letter written to the church in Corinth. Um, if you would like a Bible, we have free Bibles, and um, Josh, my awesome husband, will run and Hunter, that's not my husband, that's Julia's husband. He's also taken, sorry, ladies. Um, but uh, Hunter will get you one, so if you just wanna slip up your hands, um, you can have a free Bible, they're really, really cool too. So you can just slip up a hand and he'll get you a Bible. So 1 Corinthians chapter six. Um, we're going through this series called Reframes because in it, Paul writes to the 1 Corinthian church, so the Corinthian church, um, in the city of Corinth, and he is encouraging them to reframe their way of thinking, to reframe what they think about their life through the lens of Jesus. And so tonight, we're going to see Paul help them reframe their understanding of a really irrelevant topic, but we have to do it anyway because it's in this, like, it's in the letter. But we're going to see him reframe the topic of sex. I just said that, yeah. Uh, and we're going to see that sex, like fire, is um, actually good, powerful, and helpful in the correct context. So just like fire is good, powerful, and helpful when it's in the right context of the fire pit, sex is also really great, powerful, and helpful in the context of marriage. So the culture, in our culture, we really have two views that are kind of polarized. There are some people over here that believe that sex is just a physical act. It's really no big deal. Um, you know, it's just a bodily appetite that you satisfy. No big deal. It's just sex. And then over here, we have another radical side that's more conservative, and it's that sex is bad, sexual desires are bad, we don't want to talk about it, um, and we're not, we don't, like, our bodies are probably bad, we don't even know if God really likes our bodies, so there's that side. And tonight, in 1 Corinthians, we'll see that Paul takes an entirely different approach, one that's neither really liberal or neither really conservative, and he shows us how this is true, that sex like fire is good, powerful, and helpful in the correct context. So there are these two ways of thinking in our culture, and coincidentally, there were these same two 
ways of thinking in the Corinthian culture 2,000 years ago, which is really wild. Like, I just, it blows my mind sometimes the things in this letter that Paul's writing to them about because I'm like, are we sure this was, like, was this 2,000 years ago or was this today? Like, what is going on? And so we want to remember one thing is that Paul is writing to the church. And so these are views within the church also um, that they held. So we're going to deal with the more liberal view first. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. And Paul says there are two sayings that they have in their culture that are pretty prevalent. One is, I have the right to do anything. And the other is, food is for the stomach and stomach for food. And God will destroy them both. Let me turn in my Bible to get to the first. First Corinthians chapter 6. So, I have the right to do anything. Well, Paul says, sure, he says in verse 12, yeah, you have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but we shouldn't be mastered by anything. We shouldn't be addicted to anything. And then they have this saying, food is for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. And Paul is like, well, actually, the body, so this is like, you know, oh, the body's not important, like God's just going to destroy it. And what do we see that Paul says? He says the body actually is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. He's talking about Jesus. And he will raise us also. Have you guys ever read that part? Pretty wild and crazy. He gets more into that in chapter 15, which we'll get to later this semester. Something to look forward to. Um, And then he says something even crazier, which like raising from the dead is really crazy already. So I can understand your surprise. But he does say something even crazier. He says in verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? And he says, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. He says, do you not know? They didn't, or they didn't remember, they're choosing not to see it. Um, And he's like, when you take your body and unite with a prostitute, and this word unite is this word meaning something greater than just a physical experience. And so they're probably like, um, Paul, excuse me, Paul, there's no uniting here. Like, we're just having sex. There was this uh, common practice in the day in Corinth where um, there were temples set up to sex gods, and there would be temple prostitutes, and one of the ways that the culture worshipped the sex gods was to go and pay a prostitute and sleep with them. And it's just really funny when you say sleep with someone because there's really not a lot of sleeping going on. I just thought of that. That was a free free thing. Um, and it's good that I have this mic because I often talk with my hands, and as I was practicing, I was like, this is not going to be good. Um, I've done a lot of premarital counseling, and the session on intimacy and sex is always really awkward because I'm like, talking with my hands a lot. So this is helping just to know that can be much worse. Um, so, so this is what Paul's talking about. And they're like, Paul, no, no, no. We just go get lunch, 
have sex with a prostitute, and then we go home. Like, it's not a big deal. There's no uniting going on. It's fine. We all know what the deal is, and we're fine with it. And Paul's like, hmm, well, you're wrong, actually. He says in verse 16, do you not know, again, they don't know, that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body. For it is said the two will become one flesh. So he who unites with her is, is one in body. And another translation of that word is flesh. And what we see is that Paul is, is bringing their attention back to Genesis where God says that he created man and woman and that because of this, man would leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and become one flesh. This is the picture they would have all gotten. And, and that's what Paul is kind of referring to. And it says, he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in flesh. He's saying flesh. He's not saying one in body. He's saying in flesh. And this word flesh is used throughout the scriptures also um, as a way to talk about your whole being. And Paul's saying, you know, sex isn't just a physical act. That sex is more than that. That sex creates oneness. And sex celebrates oneness. And so oneness is this idea of uniting two separate people into one being. And... (laughs) Sorry, <laughs> I'm still trying to talk my hands. Um, just gonna do this. And, and so Paul is saying, you know, sex creates and sex cultivates and sex celebrates oneness. And oneness is like the elasticity that bonds you together with someone. It's what pulls you back to somebody. And Paul's saying, no, sex is actually so much more than physical. You're becoming one. The oneness is like the glue that holds you, uniting. This idea of oneness is like glue. It's like, it's like this bond that's created, which is so awesome. You guys are looking at me like it's not awesome. It is so awesome. God is so wise and so incredibly amazing that he has created this amazing gift of sex for the context of marriage to bond you together for life. Like, isn't that good news in the context of marriage? It's what brings you back to each other. It's where you can celebrate the oneness. It's where you can cultivate oneness. And it's a way that you can create oneness in your marriage. And I think that that deep down, that you guys know this. That you know that sex isn't just a physical activity. That sex isn't just, oh, you get hungry and you eat. You have sexual desires, I was gonna say something else. You have sexual desires and you have sex. Um, it's, it's not like that. Paul says, no, it's not you just get hungry and you eat and you just get horny and you have sex. It's just a great word, it just goes really well with the other one, I just thought of it too. I think you have a lot of good things here. And I think that you guys know that. I think you know that there's something different about sexual activity. That the weight of sexual activity stays with us that the acts of sex aren't the same as lying. It's the reason why I can't remember lies I told when I was 18, but I can tell you who I had sex with when I was 18. 
It sticks with you. There's something different. Paul says it's so different and so powerful that outside of marriage, we should flee from sexual immorality. That all the time we should flee from sexual immorality. Um, That we should flee from sexual immorality. That we shouldn't um, cuddle sexual immorality. (laughs) That we shouldn't like consider sexual immorality. That we shouldn't think about it for a while. But Paul says, no, you want to flee, like get out of town, like flee. And he says, this is why, verse 18, he says, because all other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And this isn't Paul saying that that God is harder on you when you sin sexually. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that whoever sins sexually sins against your own body. He says, you are hurting yourself when you sin sexually. And not only that, but in the broader community of things, sexual sin hurts the community as well, which is something that's not talked about in our culture. So Paul says, when you take part in sexual activity outside of the context it was created for, it does damage, right? Just like if I set a fire out in my yard, I won't, you guys, okay, I was just kidding. If I set a fire in my yard, that would create damage, right? Because fire is powerful. And fire's power like spreads, just like the power of sex. And so if I set a fire in my yard, or if I have sexual um, activity outside of marriage, I'm hurting myself and, and hurting other people as well. And a few ways we see this play out One is that sociologists and psychologists, I studied cognitive science at UVA undergrad and I loved it. Should have studied sociology though because I got A's in those classes my junior year. Should have switched to that. But I graduated, thank you Jesus. Um, Sociologists and psychologists have found that uh, actually what the Bible says about sex is true. (laughs) And it says sex affects us differently than other things that sex out of marriage can be harmful. And that a couple of findings are that females particularly, who have multiple sex partners, um, have higher rates of depression than other people. And for both sexes, male and female, the more sex partners you have, increase your risk for substance dependence disorders. And that people who have a higher rate and a higher rate for partners for casual hookups report self-medication by alcohol or drugs. And that's possibly because of the lack of emotional fulfillment coming along with an act that is supposed to fulfill you emotionally, that is supposed to be a place of vulnerability, a place of celebration. And we have eliminated a lot of the risk associated with sex with contraceptives, So there's not really a lot of risk of getting pregnant sometimes, or there's not really a lot of risk of getting an STI if you use protection. Um, But Psychology Today, which is not a Christian um, point of view, says that engaging in frequent sex with multiple partners does seem to be associated with risk. So if it's not those risks, what's the risk? Secondly, we know that pornography affects us in huge ways. 
And this pandemic has been terrible for the porn industry. It has seen an increase by 24% this past year, 24% of activity, which Covenant Eyes reported recently. Porn literally rewires your brain. Porn is made to keep you addicted and cause addiction. Why? Because they don't care about you. The porn industry doesn't care about you. They want your money. They want your time because time is money. But God loves you. Not only does porn cause um, debilitating addiction, but it affects us physically. It can affect our ability to be sexually fulfilled and excited in real sex between a man and a woman. And it also affects those around us. Some of you have been, um, have experienced the effects of generational sin in sex and pornography specifically. And so you know this. And lastly, um, sex outside of marriage affects us commonly when we're in a dating relationship because if you're having sex in a relationship, you are more likely to stick with that person longer even if they're not someone you actually wanna be with. Why is that? Why is it so hard to break up when you're having sex? Why is it so hard to break things off when you're having sex? It's because sex is created to create a bond between you. And when you're having sex in a relationship, you can't see the relationship clearly because it is creating a bond between you. And that means that when you're having sex in a dating relationship, if you do break up, it's gonna feel a whole heck of a lot more like a divorce than a breakup. You guys are so excited. <laughs> so Paul picks the most casual sex you could ever think of, right? The least relationship-driven, the least like relationship-purpose sex, sex with a prostitute. And he said, even still, sex unites. Even still, you become one. And he says, flee from sexual immorality. And then in verse 19, Paul says, do you not know, it's like a favorite phrase of his and mine, because I'm like, they don't. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So what you do with your body, this temple of the Holy Spirit, this place where God's presence dwells, remember he's writing to Christ followers, he's writing to Christians. He's saying if you, what you do with this body is important. He says you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You are valuable. I was reminded recently by Hunter, thanks Hunter, that two things determine the value of a painting. The first thing is the artist. So maybe it's Kaylee Klein. She's an amazing artist. Uh, also, Van Gogh's pretty good. So one of them. Um, and it's the who's the artist, and it's what someone's willing to pay for the art, right? So those are the two uh, criteria for for the value of a painting or a piece of art. And if you think about it, God, 
the God of the universe created you, meaning you and your body, yourself, your being. God created you. God is the artist of you. And God thinks you're so valuable that he gave his life for you. So your value as a person, including your body, your body is part of who you are, you are valuable. Jesus came and he gave his life and, and he died on the cross and he didn't die because the soldiers were keeping, them, keeping him there. But he died because he kept himself on the cross. His love kept him on the cross. As Sally Lloyd-Jones says in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is the best storybook Bible in the world, and you should all get it. So good. The pictures are amazing. Brings it back to Jesus. She says that love kept Jesus there. God's love for us. God's love for you. Paul says, you were bought at a price, a very, very high price. And Paul says, therefore, so knowing all of that, he says, therefore, honor God with your body. Keep sexuality, keep sexual activity for the context of marriage. Honor God with your body. So first we looked at our bodies don't really matter. It's not really like who we are. And Paul's like, no, actually your body matters a lot. Your body is part of who you are. Um, and sex is a big deal. Sex is more than just physical. And so we looked at kind of this side of it. And now we're going to look at the other side that was, oh, your body's bad. There was this Greek way of thinking that said your soul is good, but your body's bad. Like you just can't trust it. Just bad. Just forget about it. Um, but your soul is good. So your body's bad, sexual desire is bad, like let's not talk about it, let's not go there, our bodies are terrible things, don't have sex, like all of this. And so we see Paul turn to this, this idea in chapter seven, verse one. He says, now for the matters you wrote about. <laughs> so now we're getting to what they wrote about. Now for the matters they wrote about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Are any of you like, what? What did Paul just say? Like, I thought he said sex was good. He says it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But he goes on to say throughout chapter 7, he says, you know, sex is not bad, actually. Sex is a good thing. Your body is a good thing. That, um, that your body is a good thing. And that if you have these drives to have sex, he's like, if you do, take care of them in the right context marriage. And verse 2 says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, not somebody else's. It's a good life rule. With his own wife and each woman with her own husband, also a good rule. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. And we'll just stop there. Just kidding. Gonna keep reading. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. This was some pretty radical thinking in the first century church. 
Like this was radical. In their culture, women were basically treated as property. And so for Paul to say that the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife, for him to say that, they would have been like so completely shocked, which is one of the things I love about Paul and Jesus is that they were like, actually women are equal. Praise the Lord. And one of the things that I love to point out in verse seven, when people think that Christians are boring about sex or that God's a prude, um, can I save that? You're really wise and smart and amazing. Um, when people think, think that, or maybe you think I'm a prude, I don't know. But I like that, that Paul, says, Paul says this in chapter 7, verse 5. He's talking about men and women who are married. He says, do not deprive each other of sex, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul's like, in marriage, have a lot of sex. It's really exciting. <laughs> I know, you guys are like, I am not married. Um, but Paul says, in marriage, have all the sex. Have sex all the time. Hello, Instagram. So pumped. This is on Instagram. Um, Paul says, have all the sex. Have lots of sex. And he's like, have sex whenever anybody wants to have sex. Like, just have sex all the time. Go to bed assuming you're going to have sex. Wake up assuming you're going to have sex. Whenever it works for you, really, at lunch, wherever. But he's like, have all the sex in marriage. Like, this is what sex is created for. It's good. It's exciting. It's amazing. It helps your marriage. Um, it helps oneness in your marriage. It's a celebration of oneness in your marriage. And he says, do not deprive each other. And he says, except perhaps, like it's this big, like, I guess there could be a time maybe when you don't have sex. He's like, if you're going to devote yourself to prayer. So I think God has a pretty high view of sex. Hopefully you guys are, are shifting to that place as well. I can tell you that tonight's passages were countercultural then, and they're countercultural now. Because culture tells us right now, have all the sex when you're not married. Because when you get married, you're gonna have like ABC sex anniversaries, birthdays, and Christmas. <laughs> Which I don't know why Christmas, I guess because it's a C and it works. Um, that's how you celebrate the birth of Jesus. God coming in human form of a body. I don't know. But isn't that the truth? Isn't that what culture teaches us? Have sex now. College is a, it's your best years. Like, oh my gosh, my best years are in college. How sad would that be if your best years were right now? I am so thankful. I loved my college experience. I loved it so much. But I am so thankful that life has gotten better. And then I know that with Jesus, on the adventure following Jesus, that it's only going to keep getting better. Because that's what happens when you follow Jesus. Thank you, Chris. So Paul says, no, it's not like culture says, like, have all the sex in marriage. 
but save sex and sexual activity for marriage because sex is so powerful. Sex is so powerful and so good and so amazing that you want to keep it for the right context. Because sex out of the right context, fire out of the fire pit, destroys, right? You guys are never going to look at a fire pit the same. <laughs> I just thought of that. It's kind of great. I'm going to come after all the things you love. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so Paul says, you know, get married and have all the sex. It's so great. But then he says something else really countercultural. You see, this culture that he's, he's talking to, they idolized marriage, not for the sex. But they idolized marriage. They thought that marriage was kind of the pinnacle. You get there. Well, Paul says, don't idolize marriage either, actually. He goes on to say, and I won't read it. I'll just summarize. You can read it later because the Bible is super interesting. Would you agree? Tonight's passage is super interesting. Seven is very interesting. Paul says, don't idolize marriage. He's like, if you have sexual desires, yeah, you can get married. That's great. And you know, marriage is great. Marriage is a picture of, of Christ and the church and the coming together and the oneness, and that's beautiful. But you know, marriage is also hard because then there's two people not just yourself. And so he says, so if you're single, you can stay single. Go ahead and stay single. No big deal. Like, it's fine. Singleness is great. Singleness, you can follow whatever God wants you to do right then. You can make all your own decisions. But he says, also, don't idolize singleness, which I think our culture does sometimes. Like, don't get dragged down by the ball and chain. I was trying to think of, like, whatever those things are called. But Paul's like, you know what? Don't idolize either marriage or singleness. He's like, just follow Jesus. Follow God. Put one foot in the other. Keep following the Lord. And then if you're like, hey, I kind of want to get married, look around and see who's going in the same direction. So much easier when you take sex out of the equation before marriage. Because if it doesn't work, you break up. Right? And you're like, you know what? This didn't work. Okay, let's go on. Yes, there's sadness, but it doesn't feel like a divorce. So we have these two views of sex that Paul talks about. We have the view where it's like, whatever you want to do, it's your body. Your body doesn't matter. It's going to get destroyed. And Paul's like, actually, your body matters. And sex is more than just a physical thing. Sex is your whole being kind of thing. And then we have the other side that says sex is bad. And Paul's like, no, sex is not bad. Sex is actually really great. And tonight... I know that some of you here um, have experienced the destruction of sex. Maybe it was your own sexual sin and maybe it was someone else's. I've experienced a lot of sexual, um, uh, the effects of sexual sin, both my choices and other people's choices. And I'm so thankful for what Paul says if we look back in verse 11. After Paul says this lifts of wrongdoings, he calls them, including some sexual sins. He says, and that is what some of you were. That is what some of you were. And tonight, that is what some of you were. Some of you have sinned sexually. Some of you have been addicted to porn. Some of you have been sexually immoral. But Paul says, that is what some of you were. That is what I was. But I was washed, 
and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And some of you have been washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's who some of you were, but that's not who you are anymore. Paul says you need to reframe your understanding of sex first in your body. And you need to reframe your thinking of yourself. Because that's not who you have to be anymore. You can see through the lens of Jesus that Jesus paid that price we were talking about earlier for your freedom. Jesus gives us grace so we can walk free. God doesn't give us grace so we can just keep sinning. God gives us grace so we can be free. Jesus forgives us. Julia talked about forgiveness last week and that Jesus has absorbed the wound for us so we can forgive. Jesus forgives us easily. He says, yes, that's why I died on the cross. I want to forgive you. And Jesus washes us clean, makes us new, the Bible says. Jesus doesn't hold sin against you. When you come to him and ask for forgiveness, when you confess and you repent, and repent means turn the other way. Paul says in the scriptures before verse 11, he's talking about all kinds of sins, and he's like, you know, if you're habitually doing these sins, like you should say, am, am I really following Jesus? Because Jesus doesn't lead us into sin. And so if you have been walking in sin, Jesus says tonight, you can be forgiven. You can be made new. You can redirect yourself. You know, we didn't keep the fire pit. <laughs> like I told you guys, it was a little flimsy. Um, and on the fire pit, the rim, like, so there's the, the bowl, and then there's, like, a little rim. And I was telling Mally, like, I want, like, a, some sort of a table kind of thing around it because my kids are young. They're, like, 3 to 10 is the range. And I'm like, I want some kind of, like, you know, some, something between them and the fire because I don't want them to get burned. And they're still learning about the power of fire. You guys connecting dots right now. So my kids are, are learning about the pyro fire and I want to protect them. So I want to put some stuff between them and the fire. And as Emily was telling me, I was like, <laughs> as Emily was telling me when I was talking to her about the fire pit, she was like, oh yeah, and our dog, like, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about our dog. We just got a dog this summer. And I'm like, he probably doesn't know anything about fire. He was a rescue. He spent like two years in a crate. So I'm like, he? Oh my gosh. And then I'm like, I need to get the sturdy one. So Mally, I'm going to go get that gigantic <laughs> fire pit. So when you guys are allowed to, you can come to our house for a fire. Um, but I needed, I needed it, the fire pit to be sturdier, to be heavier, so that Maverick can't like move it if he bumps up against it or something, so he's not going to get burned. Like I heard Harley got her tail burned a little bit. Sorry. So we didn't keep that fire pit. I'm going to get a new fire pit because my kids need to be protected while they're learning. And it needs to be sturdier so that when Maverick bumps up against it, it doesn't just tip over and burn him or somebody else. And maybe tonight, some of you need to create some of those kind of boundaries for your sex life. You might need to create some boundaries for yourself. Maybe it means you don't go to that party anymore. Maybe it means you don't go to her apartment. Maybe it means you don't 
suggest laying down watching a movie together. I've been in college, you guys. I know these things. I did these things. Um, maybe it means that you break up. Maybe it means that you keep your phone and your computer in the living room instead of taking it in your bedroom with you. Maybe you choose to live in real community with Christ followers because you know you need some brothers or sisters around you to encourage you in the ways of Jesus and to not make it harder for you to follow God. Because it's hard to follow Jesus in a culture that believes so differently than what Jesus says is truth. And sometimes sin that's been habitual, sin that we're learning to reframe and see differently, view differently, and walk in the way of Jesus, requires some really radical steps. But Jesus gave his life so you can be free. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to come in you. When you say yes to following Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is given to you to help you follow God. So I encourage you, take radical steps. Your future self in your community will be forever grateful. So what boundaries do you need to set tonight to live the way that God has created you to best live? To live free, to live adventurously, and to live following Jesus. We're going to have some time to think about it and pray about it and ask God for guidance for each of you. Um, but I'm just going to ask that after tonight you would share with someone, a brother or a sister in Christ, perhaps someone in this room or in your core group, Share with them what the Lord, in his grace, brings up to you. You could say convicts you of. Maybe God's like putting his little finger on there and, he's, and you're like, yeah, I know. It's like keeps coming back, that thought or that thing or that person or whatever it is. Just let somebody know, hey, this is what I was thinking about during that time. Like, will you help me follow what I think God wants me to do here? Because we need community. Maybe share with them what the Lord and his grace convicts you of and how you've seen that, yes, sex outside of marriage has made my life more complicated. Andy Stanley has this great question, and he says, has sex outside of marriage, you know, because a lot of times people think this is old-fashioned, like whatever. Of course, Katie, you're like a pastor. You're, of course you say this. But Andy Stanley has a great question. He says, has sex or sexual activity outside of marriage made your life better or more complicated? Has sex outside of marriage made your life better or more complicated? In her book, Real Sex, great book title, I was like reading it and then I put it on the <laughs> coffee table and then like these two little boys came over from behind the street and I realized like halfway through the play date that they can read and that there's this book that says Real Sex and I was like, <laughs> guess they're gonna have a conversation tonight with someone, that's <laughs> so not me. But we frame sex for our kids because I don't want culture to frame it for them. So half of my kids already know about sex and God's intention for sex and the beauty of sex and the goodness of sex in the right context. But Lauren um, Winner says in her book, she says the greatest impact for a teenage girl to not have sex before she was 18 is not going to youth group or church. You know what it was? What they found? That the, the highest, like, um, correlation of somebody not having sex and doing something else 
It was playing a team sport. They found that if a girl played a team sport, she was at a less chance for having sex before she turned 18, when the numbers are staggering for how many people have sex before 18. I don't need to tell you guys that. So I was participating in a team sport, so I rapidly signed all my kids up for team sports. Um, just kidding, because they're all canceled because of Corona. But I do have some ideas about why that is. I think it's because you have a joint purpose on a team, right? I think there's inclusion on a team. There's community there. Sisters or brothers in Christ. And you learn self-discipline. I think in the same way, a core group will help you learn self-discipline when you share vulnerably with one another, when you help each other follow Jesus. Core groups help you be included. When you find community in a core group, you're included. And there's joint purpose. World domination. World domination, that, that we want everybody in the world to know about Jesus. And the joint purpose being, I'm trying to follow Jesus for my whole life. Will you help me? We need brothers and sisters around us to encourage us to live for Jesus. Um, so Valerie's going to play a song. Yeah. Valerie's going to play a song, and it's called Take My Life. And it's a song of consecration. Um, but while she plays that, um, first, I'm going to ask that you think about confession, which I think is a slide. Yeah. So this is what some of you need to do tonight. Some of you need to confess the ways you've sinned sexually to God. You can confess them in prayer, out loud, in your minds with the Lord. You need to ask forgiveness, accept God's forgiveness, and then there are the truth of Isaiah 118, which says, and I love this, come now, let us settle the matter. Like, this is done, the Lord says. Your sins, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Because God forgives us entirely and makes us new. He doesn't leave us tainted. He makes us new. And he allows us to take on his righteousness that we don't even deserve, but it's because of his love. And then secondly, I would love for all of us to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. And that just means that we say, Lord, take my life like it's yours. I want to live for you. I want to commit to honoring you with my body. So we're going to do that as the song plays, and then um, I'll come up and pray for us at the end.